Uh, welcome, Scott. Um, quickly tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your family, and a little bit about what you do uh, for a crust. Uh, yeah, hi. It's great to see you. Um, if you can't see me, you're not missing much. Um, I have a wife and three children. We live in Eastwood. Been married for 20 years next year. Um, and I, uh, what do I do? I do lots of things. I really don't like that question. No offence intended. Because uh, you can't box someone based on their career. There's so much more to a human being than what they do to earn a crust, as you said. But I love my job, so I will talk about it. I'm a chaplain at Macquarie University and I get to meet with students and support them in their studies and I'm a Christian chaplain so I teach from the scriptures, I talk about Jesus and that's what I do, yeah. So. Right. I'm going to do your PowerPoint Well, I don't mind doing it, I can just go like this. So okay. I've got a roving mic, I can do anything with this. Okay. Well, yeah, as I've said, uh, as I've indicated in the title here, we're talking about friendship and... Um, Friendship's a great blessing, as we've already discussed tonight, and Steve's really um, laid the foundation for this really well. Um, friends are important. You, you can't live without friends. Life is better with friends. We've, we've quoted the scientific stats that talk about the health benefits of friends. I didn't know, know all that. I'd better go and make some more friends so I can live longer. Uh, but friends, they accept you for who you are, at least mine do, most of the time. They're good for conversations and banter and laughter and experiences of holidays and encouragement when you're sad, and of course, eating together. What a sign of friendship that is. And uh, I've probably eaten too much. If I burp through this presentation, just forgive me. It's probably a sign of appreciation, so I hope you take it in, in good spirit. Um, and so that's why we're here, to enjoy friendship. And um, what I want to raise is the possibility of friendship, not just with each other, but with God. Right? Now, I know that might sound a bit weird to you, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with everything or anything I say. Um, but the Bible does say a lot about friendship, not just between people, but between people and God. And I'm not sure if you ever thought about that, okay? because it is a little bit bizarre, I admit that. Uh, one of the things the Bible says that's striking is that God actually wants to be our friend. Now, I realise that that's going to be a different kind of friendship slash relationship to the one we used to with our you know, best buddies. But I wonder if you think that's an, an idea that's worth exploring, at least to see whether it's possible. Because if God's real, if he's there, and we can have some kind of relationship with him, I'd imagine that would be pretty exciting. Are you open to that possibility? I hope so. Uh, Christians are convinced that Jesus makes that possibility a reality. We think that when Jesus came um, into our culture, not this Aussie culture, but back in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, that he was God revealing himself to us. And Jesus, we think, revealed what God is like and what he wants from us. And one of the big things that he revealed is that he wants friendship. So I've got a little story from one of the original biographies of Jesus. It's uh, written by one of the eyewitnesses or based on an eyewitness of Jesus' life. And it goes like this. This is a great little story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. That's weird, right? Imagine this guy's never met Jesus. He's at work. He's a tax collector. He's sitting down at his tax collector's booth. Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, you, follow me. And he does. 
You don't think that's weird? Okay, you're working at your desk. You've never met me. I walk into your office. I say, follow me. And you do. <laughs> so who's the weird one, me or you? We're both, right? we're, both, we're both a bit weird. How do you explain that? I don't know. Maybe Levi sensed something really important about Jesus. He was overwhelmed by how compelling he was. For whatever reason, he followed him. And what we've got to realise here is that Jesus has actually made a cultural mistake. In fact, he's three cultural mistakes in this um, story. We're going to see the first cultural mistake is he befriends the wrong guy. Now, there is an ancient Roman inscription, or what would you call that? Carving, maybe? Of a tax collector sitting down at a tax collector's booth and a Roman citizen coming along and delivering the taxes. Now, what you've got to realise is that tax collectors were hated in the first century. They were greedy, thieving scumbags, and everyone knew it. You can go and read the literature at the ancient history department of Macquarie University. These are, uh, these are facts. And so Jesus calls this guy, Levi, a, a greedy, thieving scumbag, to be friends with him, to follow him. That's the first cultural mistake he makes. Uh, I don't know if that's a picture of Levi, but there he is. <laughs> now, here's the second thing. The problem with Levi is he's not just a tax collector, he's a Jewish tax collector. Now, why is that a problem? Well, because the Jews did not like being ruled by the Romans. It was their land. They wanted it back. They wanted to be a sovereign nation again. So for a Jewish man, Levi, and his name is Jewish, that's why we know he's a Jew, to collect money for the Roman government is to support the Roman government. He's not just a thieving, greedy, no-good scoundrel. He's a traitor to his nation. There's even more reasons to hate this guy. Jesus says to this guy, I want you on my team. I want to be your friend. That is scandalous in the first century context. Here's the second cultural mistake. He eats in his home. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. You see, Levi is so excited that someone wants to be his friend. (laughs) And it's actually Jesus, this famous guy who wants to be his friend, that he throws a, a Thanksgiving dinner for Jesus. And um, kind of like this one, we're throwing a, a banquet to honour friendship. Now, in this culture, but more so in the ancient culture, to eat with someone and especially to eat in their home was a sign of acceptance and belonging and friendship. Okay? You don't eat with your enemies. Jesus is eating with Levi in his house He accepts and embraces and has befriended this thieving, cheating, greedy, treacherous scumbag. Do you feel the scandal of it yet? No? Okay, well, let's go to cultural blunder number three. He's eating in his home with other sinners. I don't know if you noticed. No, we hadn't read it, so here we go. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So Jesus has not just befriended one guy who's of questionable character. He's befriended a whole community. He's enjoying dinner with all of them. This party is filled with low lives, scumbags from the edges of society. Now, you've got to be scratching your head if you're reading this. Why is Jesus hanging out with these people? He's a holy guy. He has high religious standards, high moral standards, high spiritual standards. Why lower them to hang out with these guys? What is Jesus thinking? Well, not sure yet, but you can imagine 
This is not a real photo of it, but you can imagine the noise, the energetic chatter, the chinking of glasses, chink, the, the odd outburst of laughter. <laughs> Good one, Jesus. Uh, the, the slurping of food. <laughs> right, all the noises of a party, much like today, tonight. And guess who turns up? Well, the gatecrashers turn up. Gatecrashers to spoil the party. Now, these aren't traditional gatecrashers. When I think of gatecrashers, I think leather jackets, heavy tats, flick knives, nunchuckers, ready to rumble and destroy the party. No, no, no. These gatecrashers are wearing long religious robes and carrying big leather-bound Bibles. It's maybe not scary to you, but back in the day, well, these aren't them, but, you know, representative. Um, the religious heavies turn up. And they think what we would think, knowing the scandal of this, right? And so they ask the obvious question. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing? Why is Jesus befriending these sorts of people? That's not right. It's actually a really good question. You're still not resonating with it, so let me paint the picture for you. Modern-day examples. Imagine, I'm sure you think you're a good moral person. That's great. Keep, keep working at it. Um, so you run a dinner party. Who do you invite? Well, you invite the local shamed politician who's now sacked. You invite a corrupt policeman. You, in, you, you invite a workplace bully. You invite a perpetrator of sexual harassment. You invite an alt-right white supremacist. You invite an internet troll. And while we're at it, let's throw in a parking officer. And maybe a Pauline Hanser voter. How are you feeling? You're an upstanding moral citizen. What are people going to think when this photo goes onto Facebook? They're going to think, why are you a good, upstanding, moral citizen hanging out with the riffraff. You see how offensive it is? It really is. Jesus gets up the nose of everyone. Well, except the sinners who are hanging out with him. They love it. Why is Jesus doing this? Well, Jesus responds to their question. His responses are always amazing and brilliant. I want to write a book on it one day. True story. It's a riddle. He tells a riddle. So if you like riddles, here we go. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And he just leaves it there. I love it. <laughs> we don't know what the religious leaders think. The, the, the book goes on to tell another story. You see what he's saying? It's only the sick who need a doctor. I mean, you don't call the doctor when you wake up feeling fantastic. You wake up feeling 100%, whoa, wow, I feel fantastic. I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger on steroids. He was already on steroids. I feel fantastic. Quick, better call the doctor. You got an appointment? Get me in quick. I feel fantastic. It doesn't work, right? You only go to the doctor or call the doctor if you feel that there's something wrong. And if you're a bloke, you don't call them at all, right? Until your mum or your wife hassles you for long enough and by then it's too late. What's wrong with us guys? See, it's only the sick who need a doctor. But those who think they are healthy, they will not call the doctor. They won't see their need for the doctor. What's Jesus saying here? Well, he's actually presenting himself as the doctor. And he's describing two types of people. And these two types of people are both at the party. 
On the one, one hand, there's the sick people, the, the sinners. That's right? a metaphor for, for having a spiritual sickness. He's saying these people he's hanging out with realise that they are spiritually sick and they need God's help. They need the doctor to forgive them and heal them and repair their relationship with God. And so when he calls them to follow him, they come flocking it and they love it because they realise they need his help. But then there's the righteous, those who think they are morally and spiritually healthy, those who think, why would I need God? I've not done anything wrong. Why would I need Jesus' forgiveness? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a good, moral, upstanding person. And so they don't see their need for Jesus, you see? Let me ask you this question. I wonder which group you would identify more with. Now, there might be a spectrum, but if we've got the, the sitters down here and the self-righteous ones up here, where are you? I wonder. You don't have to shout it out. Let's just start with the second group, though. The righteous ones who think they are okay and don't think they need to see Dr. Jesus. <laughs> now, if you think you are a righteous person, a good, upstanding, moral person then you'll think Jesus is irrelevant to you. You'll think, oh, look, he might have some good morals that I can learn from, but I don't need his help. I don't need him to heal my spiritual disease because I don't have a spiritual disease, right? You don't think you have a problem, you won't come to him for the fix. But this is one thing that I know some people find this offensive about Jesus in the Bible. I actually find it refreshing because I like straight talk in case you haven't worked it out already. Jesus says there's actually no one who is righteous. Like relatively to each other, you know, some of us are better than others, sure. But compared to God, nah. Jesus says there's no unrighteous. Now you might think you are, you might think, no, no, I'm not sick with sin and I don't need his healing and all that sort of stuff. But I wonder if you'd consider a few things. Two points that I want to make before I get off. Firstly, oh, that's small, isn't it? <laughs> this font is not as big as we think it is. Uh, the point is, we're not as good as we think we are. I had to come to terms with this a number of years ago. It struck me that even though I like to present myself as a good, upstanding, moral person, etc., etc., if I'm honest, brutally honest with myself, I know that I fail even my own standards, let alone God's. Think about it. Most of us here would think that it's wrong for others to lie to us, to bitch about us, to manipulate us, to neglect us, to use their phones while driving. <laughs> but who has not done any of those things? You can't drive yet, so you don't count. <laughs> I do those. I've lied. I've gossiped. I've manipulated. I've, I've driven while using my phone. I think it's wrong when other people do it. I, 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 I berate them for doing it. But I've done it too. I condemn myself by my own standards. And we all do, if we're honest. We don't even keep our own standards, let alone God's. You might not be convinced by that. How about this? Imagine if some Hollywood producer rang you up and said, I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but we want to make a movie of your life. Wow, I'm going to be famous. And they set out to make a very long movie and it's a movie about your life, a movie about everything in your life, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, in public and private. 
And guess what? The opening screening is tonight at Event Cinemas in Chatswood. Who are you going to invite to see it with you? Anyone? Yeah, me neither. We would not be happy to invite anyone to watch it. We would not be able to watch it ourselves. I'd run for the hills. I'd flee the country. I wouldn't be able to look at anyone in the eyes ever again. We know that we are not as righteous as we like to think. There's plenty of evidence for that. And here's the thing. God sees the movie. He knows the movie. He sees the greed, he sees the lust, he sees the jealousy, he sees the anger, the violence, the lies, the abuse of power, the hatred, the God. He sees it all. When pushed, we've got to admit, we do have dirt and shame and guilt and brokenness in our hearts. If God's there, surely we do need his forgiveness because we've broken our own standards, let alone his very, very high standards. And here's the thing. Jesus shows us that God still welcomes people like us. He wants to be friends with people like us. He hangs out with people like you. (laughs) So that's the first point, the first reflection. We're not as good as we think we are. The second one is how good we are is irrelevant. What? Well, it's kind of relevant, but not really. What am I trying to say here? I want to tell you about a great husband, okay, for those of you who... Um, thinking about marrying one day, here is the husband that is a mate. This husband wash does all the washing, right? Washes clothes, hangs the clothes, irons the clothes, cleans the kitchen, vacuums each room, mows the lawn, prunes the flower trees, um, drives the kids around to school, sport, after school pack pickup, after school activities, cooks dinner every night. Feeds, washes up, vacuums, changes nappies, does the bed and bath time routine, all while holding down a high-paying job. Wouldn't you love to be married to a man like that, women? No? (laughs) You've got rocks in your head. What an amazing husband. Actually, he's an awful husband. He's an awful husband. I've forgotten to tell you something. This guy, as much as good as he does in the house and around the family and blah, 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 he completely ignores his wife. Just ignores her. Doesn't even look at her. Doesn't pay her one bit of attention. You see, he does a lot of good things, but he doesn't do the most important thing. The thing that matters above all else. He doesn't have a relationship. You see, God actually wants friendship. God wants relationship. He doesn't want a bunch of good people running around who ignore him. Good enemies, we might call them, who just live independently from him and don't care about him. Friends, all of us have this problem, the Bible says. We're all sick with this disease. We'd prefer to just live without God, just ignore him. We don't honour him as we ought. So we're not as good as we think. And even if we were, which we're not, it's irrelevant because God wants relationship, not good people who ignore him. (sighs) 
So, I've nearly finished, but I just want to say, when was the last time you went to the doctor? <laughs> you don't have to put your hand up and tell me, I don't want to know about the gory details. But I've noticed there's a lot of doctors out there, a lot of kind of doctors. I'm sure there's a different kind, a couple of different kinds of doctors in this room. There's foot doctors, there's eye doctors, there's bone doctors, there's skin doctors, there's brain doctors, there's heart doctors, there's kids doctors, there's blood doctors, there's cancer doctors. I know these are not the technical names, don't beat me up on that. There's hair doctors, there's teeth doctors, there's all manner of specialists. Point to a part of the body, there's a doctor for that bit, right? There's probably a fingernail doctor, there's probably a, a nostril doctor. Oh, oh, there's doctors everywhere. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad for it. Doctoring is very important. If you've ever been sick or needed a specialist or if you've ever spent time in hospital, you're going to be thankful for the doctor's expertise. But have you ever heard of a sin doctor? That's weird. I'm pretty sure no university offers a degree in doctoring for sin. But today, friends, Jesus presents himself in this little riddle as the doctor who can cure, if he's right, the most fatal disease we have, the one that leads to separation from all good things and God forever. And so the message for tonight is consider Jesus. Consider what he says here. Is he the one who can heal us of our spiritual problem and fix our relationship with God so that we can actually know him and be friends with God? There was talk about the health benefits of friendship earlier. Living forever sounds like a pretty good option in terms of health benefits. Well, friends, thanks for listening. You've been very polite. Please keep exploring these things, and I'm sure there's more food to enjoy. Thanks.